What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to the JP Money Podcast. It is a special day here in Lansing, Michigan. We've got a guest on the show going to talk to us a little bit about his career, a little bit about the financial side, a little bit about the personal side, and how his upbringing and uh, his transition into adulthood and eventually now as a grandfather, just the evolution of understanding life and the intersection of balancing work with family, with money, to career aspirations, just really the whole purpose of this podcast wrapped into one episode. I'm very excited to to have Mr. Jeff Spadosky here. He is a, a true mentor of mine, somebody I really look up to and want to emulate and how I carry myself. And uh, he's going to share a little bit about refereeing and what that's been like for him as a, a side job and, and into a, a full-time career. And I'm excited to, to share his knowledge with you today on the JP Money Show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, uh, we are here today with uh, a friend, a mentor, former colleague, Mr. Jeff Spadosky. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jordan. Good. good to see you again. Yeah. Thanks for hosting me today here on the JP Money Podcast. No problem. This is great. <laughs> so, you know, Jeff and me, our relationship goes way back, probably, I'd say like 10 years ago or so. At least, yeah, I probably. We yeah. had first interacted, actually prior to, to us even knowing each other. I think I was playing a college basketball game yep. down in Indiana, yep. Division three school. I knew your sister Megan at the time and kind of knew who you were during the game but right uh, so i was getting that. i was yeah. getting fouled and stuff and you weren't calling it you're <laughs> no, trying to you know no. yeah right <laughs> well, make sure i was comfortable getting into the family right. family business here right and then uh sure enough a year later i moved to lansing and this is probably 2009 2010 uh, yeah about right yeah. and i came to a camp to referee and you were one of my clinicians and that's kind of where we met right yep yep at michigan state and yeah. so, yeah, I got I got you to thank for putting in the good word for me to kind of get me into the high school freshman, high school JV games. Yeah. Sure enough, next year or two, working high school games. And then a year or two later, moving on up to some smaller college games. And it's been a fun ride. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. the rides come to a close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. Well, that's not due to lack of talent. That's for sure. Well, we could have kept going, no doubt about it. But priorities yeah. change and life changes. And that's that's kind of how that goes sometimes but yeah, yeah i mean you never close the door too i mean when right. you leave an opportunity you know who knows what the future right. future holds so yeah. so that's a little bit about where we first met but i want to go way back to want to go way back to the beginning because when we do this podcast we try to meet new people kind of explore their career path and where they go and then you know and we'd like to talk about the financial side of things a little bit too this is the jp money podcast right um but i want to take i want you to take me back to your kind of origin. You grew up here in Lansing, Michigan, correct? I did. Yeah. All right. Yep. Sib siblings, parents? Yeah. I have two siblings, both younger. I have a brother, Tim, who is a doctor out at um, Michigan State. Dr. Tim. No. Dr. <laughs> Tim. Uh, he uh, deals with all the students at MSU, um, mm -hmm. at the Olin Clinic at, at MSU. Uh, my sister, who is, uh, well, my brother's three years younger than I am. My sister is six years younger than younger than me. Okay. She lives in Portage. Um, her and her husband have three kids. Um, 
they have a 12 year old daughter and 10 year old twins so oh okay so mother fun. of three yeah yeah, yeah okay fun and no we're, we're an international yeah. podcast here so okay. portage is michigan right michigan they're about so, an hour an hour away from from where the rest of the family lives here in lansing now mom and dad marie yeah. and ron correct right yeah um I know you lost your dad four yeah. or five years ago, yeah. correct? Yeah, about five years ago now. And is mom mom still around? Mom's or? still, yep, she's doing great. Good. She lives uh, here on the west side of Lansing, and um, she stays busy, stays active. She's, it's yeah, she's good. So were your parents both referees? Is that how you got into it? No, my dad was a notorious referee hater. He, oh, okay. <laughs> Probably you and, were too growing up. Based and, on what I know about your son, Jake. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm guessing that it runs in the family a little youth, bit. Youth sports. I remember my dad uh, being asked to leave the, the confines of a gym or a, a field <laughs> one, once or twice. Excuse uh, me, sir. You need to, you need to leave. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. So he was that guy. He was, he was never... Uh, I laugh, I exaggerate a little bit, you know, but there were times when, uh, especially if uh, an MSU basketball game was on TV that he would voice displeasure with, with some of the officiating. Okay. Um, Never Judd though. He was so always supportive. Of he the, loved Judd. The coaching staff. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He loved, loved Judd, but no, I had no, uh, no officiating background at all until right at the end of high school. Mm-hmm. I played high school basketball for a guy named uh, Phil Odlum at Waverly High School. Okay, so you made the, okay. I'm not trying to offend you here. Right. Just want to make sure because Lansing was kind of a powerhouse of athletics in yeah. the 1970s, 80s, yeah, yeah, 90s when you were coming up. Yeah. So yeah. you made the the high school team at Waverly. I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Waverly. You said Lansing was a powerhouse. Uh, Waverly is the stepchild of that <laughs> okay. of, the, of the of the Lansing. We. Um, the three Lansing high schools, uh, Eastern Everett, Sexton at Waverly, uh, not very many of them occurred on the football field or the basketball court. Um, Which is the two that you yeah. were highly involved in? Well, no, uh, I played baseball. Okay. So we did have some baseball moments, you know, that were pretty solid. I was three years behind Smoltz, Smoltz? John Smoltz. Yeah, I was going to say, he's Waverly, um, right? Yep. Yeah. So we won, the, we won the, the big tournament here in Lansing, the Diamond Classic, when I was a freshman. And John was a senior. Okay. Um, in very dramatic fashion, uh, he hit a home run to win the championship game. Okay. Uh, that, John did. So he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Because he's yeah. a pitcher, correct? He is. So in high school, in high school he, was he was just a great he was a athlete. player. Yeah. yeah okay. He was just a great. Athlete. In fact, he was uh, an all-state basketball player in high school, also. But yeah, we, Waverly at the time was a little bit below, you know, athlete-wise, the the threes. Uh, schools in the city along with some of the other schools in our league we we struggled a little bit you know phil Adam was our coach and he required us on saturday mornings um as as varsity players to um to go to the youth little youth games that they had on Saturday mm -hmm. mornings at the high school mm -hmm. i see where this is going and, and do a little bit of a make us referee <laughs> yeah so um that was kind of where I got a start for it. And then there was, I was working one of those games and this is all volunteer. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we weren't getting paid. I think no Coach entitlement back in the, the no, 80s here. I mean, you had to truly pay your dues yeah, for free. He made us, you yeah. know, it was part of being on the basketball team. And I think it was more his way of making sure we weren't, you know, out too late Friday night doing something we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Right. We had to get up early Saturday morning, at least, 
you know, and show smart, up somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure your parents appreciated yeah. it. Yeah. So you're out, you know, you're at the gym at like 9 a.m. ready to referee these little kids' basketball games. And that's kind of where I got a little a little bug for it. Okay. Um, and and kind of went from there. Yeah. So these are bat youth basketball games or they're baseball games or a little no, bit? No, these are a little bit. These are basketball. Basketball games. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Which I say that because you're my understanding, a referee a handful of times with a truly wonderful guy who's got your back no matter what, um, named John Creek. Yeah. And John Creek's <laughs> you know, a local Kalamazoo guy, right. as, as you know. Yeah. And Creek always talked about how you and him back in the day had done some umpiring together and yeah. whatnot. And yeah. And we'll get to, you know, your current state as a division, pretty much full-time division one basketball, men's basketball referee, but rewind 20, 30 years ago, you got into baseball. Did you have to go to school for that or did somebody recommend you go? How did that happen? So the way it worked at the time and things have changed somewhat, but at the time, um, and this would have been January of 1992, I went to what was then called the um, Brinkman Fremming Umpire School. It was one of three schools in existence at mm-hmm. the time. It was a five-week course in Florida that you you went and stayed there for the whole time. And what part was, of Florida was it in? It was in Cocoa, uh, Cocoa, Florida. Okay. Um, it was it was just totally immersive of uh, just umpiring from eight a.m. until till night every day for five weeks taught by MLB umpires or former MLB umpires. Yep. The, the two uh, guys that own the school, uh, Joe Brinkman and Bruce Fremming were uh, major league umpires. And then they had a staff of about a dozen, Mm -hmm. um, mostly minor league umpires at the time. And it lasted five weeks. You said that was five weeks. And at the end of that, they were close to a hundred, 110, perspective umpires in our class. And at the end of that, they picked 10 of us to go from there to the next course, which was run by minor league baseball umpire development. Okay. So you got about a 9% chance to make round two. Yeah. And round two was (laughs) the 10 guys from that school, along with the ones they picked from the two other Mm -hmm. uh, accredited umpire schools. And we went from you know, to, um, Orlando for that course. And then from, so now you're dealing with about 30 guys and about half of that group got hired Mm -hmm. into minor league baseball that year. And John and I were, we met at umpire school and became uh, really good friends and both, both were lucky enough to get hired that year. So I'm I'm sure it wasn't luck. I'm sure there's a lot of skill that went into this too, but I know, as you know, it's, it's not just skill that, you know, you get chosen for these things. got to right. be the right mix of your personality and your stage of life and your age and your yep. look and all that good stuff. So, yep. yeah, John's great. That's great that you met him there. And uh, and I don't really understand minor league baseball. I'm not going to lie because I'm, I, wasn't, I wasn't raised a baseball guy. Right. Always been a basketball guy. So uh, can you just break down for me what level you umpired and – how far off that is from the major leagues. Okay. So when, when you get hired out of the umpire development course, you start at the lowest level of minor league baseball, which is rookie ball. Okay. Um, it's a shorter season than what the rest of the minor leagues. It's like 70 games starts uh, mid June and runs until September. Okay. And then uh, you move up 
kind of just like the players do performance evaluations um, lead to promotion mm-hmm. or lead to demotion just, <laughs> dismissal, <laughs> dismissal right yeah. where they just you've say, had a you good know, run you're not thank you for your services yep you're yeah. not progressing and you know because you know it's kind of a pyramid you know there's more at the bottom and you're whittling away to you know the guys at the top and hopefully you know by the time you get through certain stages of you know there there's pretty much three levels of class a ball mm-hmm. and then you have double a and triple a and then the major league so you have to get through each one of those steps there's no kind of skipping steps to get to major league baseball and and minor league baseball umpiring is not a career job it's if you're not progressing towards the major leagues you do get released you, mm-hmm. you can't be um a minor league baseball umpire for 20 years you know it, it's not how the how it's set up it's a feeder system for the for the big leagues so i worked i worked at each level moved up was in triple a for uh the last three years of my career. Triple A is the one just before just major leagues. The, the major leagues. It's one step from the major leagues, but we would always say it's also one step from the top to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Okay. So, you know, yeah, right. That's kind of how it feels. You're in, you're, it, it's, yeah, you're it's one step jump. away from the big leagues, but it's, it's light years away yeah. in reality. Um, it reminds me of like, just because I'm a government teacher, it reminds me of like running for president, right? You yeah. got to start somewhere in your local state, you know, just running for the house. And yep. then maybe you can get upgraded to a senator. Yeah. Maybe you're vetted enough to potentially get on the Democratic or Republican ticket to yep. potentially run for president. And then you got to whittle away all those candidates. <laughs> yeah. And then you finally get the, get the call chance. up to get, yeah, a small chance to yep. get voted by the people. It's like an and, impossible route. And and to take it one step further, it's all, and once you get the job, it's more like being a Supreme Court justice because you're not going anywhere once you get hired in the big leagues. Now I go to the House of Representatives and they vote on me. If they vote yes, what happens? Then I go to the Senate and the whole thing starts all over again. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And if they vote for me on Capitol Hill. You're okay. You, you know, they're union protected and. So it's a huge deal just making that job. Once you get hired in the major leagues, now you're set for, unless you do, (laughs) I'm not going to say no one's ever gotten fired, but it's always been for something egregious off the Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's never been, yeah, it's never been because they weren't cutting it as an, uh, on the field as an umpire. Mm Because once you get there, you know, everybody's good enough to work. So I got to imagine, uh, lifestyle-wise, you're you're doing this. You been yeah. well, your total number of years? I know you said three years. And I was, it was nine years total. Nine years total. So yeah. I got to imagine by that time you're getting into your thirty, early thirties, yep. late twenties. I, I was thirty, uh, thirty-one when I got out. Yeah. So you're hitting that stage of life sort of where you're like, you got to kind of yeah. make it or not make it. You're probably yeah. not getting paid much for the previous nine years. Yeah. You're paying a lot of dues. You're yeah. working on your craft. You're becoming a fantastic umpire. But then you have to sort of decide, am I going to make this jump or not? Was that sort of scary for you? Like, I've invested all this time, but at the same time, if I don't make it, I better have yeah. something else to fall back on. So circumstances at the time kind of forced my hand a little bit. One that I was, it, there was a big log jam in, in the major leagues. There was the odds of me getting hired at that point um, just because of a few things that had gone on with the major league staff 
um, were not in my favor. Mm-hmm. And then um, my son was born in 2001 and it really kind of made me, you know, kind of look at the whole big picture and mm-hmm. what do I want to do here? And I could have, I could have continued to work um, probably another two years in AAA before they would have probably released me getting hired as in the major leagues at that point was, was not in the cards. And I knew that and decided that those two years were more important and it'd be more valuable to be home instead of, cause you got to remember, you know, as a professional umpire, you leave and especially in the minor leagues, it's different mm-hmm. in the major leagues, the money's different and the schedule's a little different, but in the minor leagues, I would leave, uh, the first or second week of March to go to spring training. And I wouldn't come home for longer than a day, uh, until September, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of time away from the family, so especially when you throw a kid into the, right. the picture. So now we're okay. dealing with all that. So that's, that kind of forced my hand at okay. that point. That is very interesting. And I guess I, I never thought about that, how the, the, you know, the, baseball leagues generally aren't during the winter months. So you've got this full sort of five, six month period where you're away from home and family circumstances had changed for you. Okay. So you come back to, you were living in Lansing still at the time, I assume that's where Mm -hmm. uh, your wife and children are. And now uh, you come back here and you've got some connections in the officiating world. Can you just tell me briefly how you, you know, what you decided to do, you talked about kind of having that come to Jesus moment where you realized your priorities were changing. Did you take on a different type of full-time job? Uh, and did you jump right into basketball officiating right away? Can you briefly tell me about that transition? So the basketball had been uh, ongoing during my uh, baseball career. So I would come home in the off season oh, yeah. of, Winter. Of, and, and pick up, you know, where I left off basketball wise. Um, a little bit stunted in that a lot of, as you know, the lot of a lot of the things that improve your schedule or your standing in basketball happen in the summertime. You know, clinics and camps and stuff like that. So I was never able to do that as a young official, um, but I was lucky enough to get hired into the small college ranks while I was still umpiring, and then kind of move up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm as that went. So when, when I did, um, retire from baseball, I wasn't starting from zero basketball wise. I was already uh, working mm-hmm. in, in, um, everything division two on down in basketball, but it did take off after that. I put a lot of more, you know, uh, focus and emphasis on my basketball career and that, mm-hmm. that helped, um, just before the days of watching videotape, because when you talk about like, <laughs> like like getting better at your craft yeah. nowadays, I mean, honestly, one of the things that got me out of officiating yeah. was just like, you got to watch video. You got to watch video. Yeah. You got to watch video. And yeah, I don't, I don't like to yeah. watch video. Watch video. Watch, <laughs> I'll watch like a couple games a year. It is bad. It does yeah. help you. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not arguing that, but it's just a lot of additional time and focus. But, yeah. Back then it was harder. You had to, you know, we're talking VHS tapes at the time. Yeah. Where now it's, you know, now when I work a game, by the time I'm in the locker room after, um, I can call that game up on my iPad and, and look at a play right then and there. Um, Aren't you required to, I would imagine, yeah, for some for yeah. some of the leagues you work in? Yeah. You know, you can't get along without 
self-evaluation anymore you know i mean number one everything's on film you know and mm-hmm. everything's out there if something happens in a game it doesn't matter where the game is mm-hmm. at what level somebody's putting a controversial play on youtube from the bath junior high game yeah I right know. you know i, I mean that know. just is gonna that's the life you know that's <clears throat> you know just life today was everything's on online. So I definitely yeah. want to talk about officiating scrutiny and the X's and O's of actually officiating a basketball game, but I want yeah. to hold that off for just a minute because we're yeah. still talking career. Okay. So referees, at least when I was in it, they don't provide health insurance and benefits and no. stuff like that. So no. were you, when you got out of baseball for those seven months out of the year, did you have to just go purchase your own uh, health when insurance? I, when I was in baseball, I had, we were covered. We had, we had benefits when I retired. That's when, you know, that went away. And, and my wife and I own a barber shop. She runs mm-hmm. and operates. Oh yeah. Uh, Waverly barbers. If you're <laughs> yeah. local. And, I have heard many good reviews <laughs> for your wife's, uh, corner of Waverly and St. Joe business. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Where was that it's at? a barber shop. Don't let Jordan fool you. It's a barber. It's oh, a barber me. shop. Yeah. That's our corner of Waverly and St. Joe on the Men, West side. Women, Lansing. Kids, Men, yeah. Yeah. She, uh, very rarely will cut, women's hair uh okay guys kids what's come the name on of in waverly barbers okay. corner good. of waverly and saint joe so she's been doing that a while too she's experienced yeah yeah, 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 she's, yeah she's been doing that a long time but that being said uh we were without benefits you know at that point when i got out of baseball okay. so i took a part-time job at ups and started working um, at the airport here in Lansing and uh, did that for the benefits because the benefits are really good. So that was, that was one reason I took that job at that time. And you're doing a service to humanity. I mean, the Lansing airport, that is a thriving metropolis. Yeah. You never know who's coming in and out of there. We are synchronizing commerce every day, buddy. <laughs> yeah, there you are. Cargo synchronizing flights, you never commerce know. every day. Yeah, secret places here in Michigan <laughs> that are covered by Jeff Spadowski. Yes, you better believe that. Okay, so I, I guess one thing I wanted to ask about was okay. when COVID struck here yeah. a couple of years ago, obviously there's a health emergency, there's an economic emergency, there's all kinds of uh, scares going on globally. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you because I assume that the majority of your income uh, nowadays and in the last several years comes mm-hmm. from this jump from working, you know, small college basketball to now you know, division one and, and mm-hmm. division two basketball. So as a household and as an individual, I'd imagine you're much more dependent on, on that income. Mm-hmm. Was there a worry for you and other people in your situation that are full-time division one referees that this business might get shut down? Cause obviously it did get shut down temporarily, Yeah, but I heard like a lot of schools were talking, who knows what, you know, colleges might not even exist anymore, let yeah. alone the athletic departments. Yeah. Was that a little bit of a scare for you for it, a little while? It was. The uncertainty of everything was the scare. Ti- the timing of it was such that in spring of 2020, when COVID really started to shut everything down, mm-hmm. we were at the end of the basketball season. Very unfortunate timing for a lot of things. For but a lot of things, including, basketball. including my son who was graduating high school that year and got his, you know, degree his, his spring <laughs> you know uh his spring baseball season was canceled and prom and mm. graduation and all yeah. that stuff but as far as the basketball goes the season was pretty much complete um they did you know all the postseason tournaments were canceled but as far as the bulk of m- my income potential for 2019-20 
that was already in the in the books. So sure. The the uncertainty was when we got to the following season, uh 2020-21, and we still didn't know what was gonna you know, happen, how we were going to go forward. There's still. Yeah, I remember we the Big were, Ten football season kept getting pushed back. Right. And then it wasn't going to happen. Then it was going to happen. Football was a uh, was, was very much, you know, an uncertainty. And we we still didn't have a, a vaccine at that point. We were, you know, kind of um, just anything from we're not going to have a season at all to uh, we're going back to normal was on the table. Mm-hmm. So th- we really didn't know what was going to happen. That, that was you know, there was luckily uh, the season did get played as uh, you know as scheduled for the most part. There, there was some some tweaks, some changes. Um, that I was impacted a little bit with some contact tracing. I never tested positive, but I mm-hmm. got shut down a couple times that season because I was I worked with somebody who then tested positive. Or, um, but. Okay. Uh, the games were played without fans, which was a really interesting dynamic. Almost um, sounds kind of great in a way. I mean, good and bad. Like, yeah, there's no energy in the in the building, so that ruins the fun a little bit. It was weird. It, it was. There was a lot of, like you said, the the, the energy in the building was was different. Um, you can hear everything. The coaches yelling at you. Well, and I was going to say it wasn't just the the coaches, but now we could hear. All the things the players say to each other. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they and everyone really else can hear it too. Right. Yeah, and now everybody else in the building can hear that too. And it was interesting because we had to things got penalized that probably never did uh, from a uh, unsporting standpoint. Yeah, because there was no hiding away from it anymore. Yeah, you could yeah. hear. It. You know, I'm sure that stuff goes on in, all the time with fans in the building oh, where yeah. you can't hear. I have plenty of memories of kids talking. You know smack to one another and I'm refereeing and I can hear it. It's right yeah, in front of me. Right. And I go up to him and tell him to knock it off. We're not going to tolerate that tonight. You know, whatever, give him my spiel. They keep yeah. doing it, of course. So, right. you know, and I go over and address the, the player about it and he'd say, yeah, no, number three, he keeps telling me, you know, whatever. And so I go over to number three and I'd say, Hey, you know, number eight on the other team, he's, he's saying that, you know, you're talking junk to him and he'd yeah. like, he'd like you to just to, to, to please stop. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I was the messenger for him. Can, yeah. you, can you knock that off? Go, oh, yeah, yeah. Because right. yeah. they do think yeah. kids, when they interact with referees, they do feel a little bit special, at yeah. least in my experience. Yeah. They're like, okay, like he's talking to me. He's, right. You know, but some things are so egregious or they're, you know, with film, you can see everything now. Yeah. So yeah. there's no hiding away from it, really. So I guess my point there, career wise, is just pointing out to people that the stability of refereeing is not like, like a minor league umpire becoming a major league umpire. It's not like all of a sudden you're uh, unionized and you're protected and you're good for life. Right. I mean, I'm sure you would imagine there's not a season that goes by where you don't think, Hey, I'm one or two blown calls away from getting, you know, losing a couple games, being suspended for five games or whatever it is. And then at that level, I mean, we'll talk finances in a little bit, but now you're missing out on five, 10 grand or something like that. I mean, we are at will, uh, employees, they can let us go at any time. Um, we're all independent contractors, so there's no, you know, there's no collective bargained contract to fall back on. There, yeah, I'm uh, one, you know, one bad call away from getting let go. I'm also one in, injury away oh, okay. from missing, you know, a season. 
or my career ending, you know, and, and they're, you know, so that's, you know, financially it, it is a little unstable, um, to try to count on that, right. that income. Yeah. Now there are some insurance policies, but I mean, they're not going to cover your entire season's worth right. of, yeah. of checks yeah. that you're going to miss out on. Yeah. So, so Jeff, when you get into the division one and you start working some bigger games, you know, if you're comfortable with sharing maybe some of the conferences you sort of first started in mm-hmm. and, and what you sort of moved up to and, and where you're at now, that'd be great. But, uh, and, and obviously like referees today, especially you talked a little bit about the scrutiny that they face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading a news story a couple of years ago about a guy named John Higgins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a division one men's basketball referee. And uh, he had uh, refereed, I think an elite eight game with North Carolina and uh, Kentucky mm-hmm. and Kentucky had lost by like two points. And then he's getting like death threats on, yeah. online. Yeah. Uh, people going to his personal business and leaving bad reviews, mm-hmm. like shutting down his business, essentially. I think he had to get some legal action going to figure out what was going on. But mm-hmm. um, that's the type of stuff that referees and, and officials face. And that can make for a really challenging environment to, to work in. The higher up you go, mm-hmm. the more scrutiny there is, which yeah. is kind of ironic because what I'm told is, the higher you go, usually the easier the games are to referee. Have you found that to be true? And um, um, to a certain extent, that's true. It, but with with better financial, uh, you know, incentive or comes a very large. I mean, comes what, what more are, responsibility. You so know, what are we talking? about? expected. What does a Division three referee make per game so approximately? A, a Division three referee is going to make anywhere from 180 to 200 dollars a game division uh, two uh from between 300 and 400 typically um depending on there's some mileage variations in there but we're talking between three and four hundred dollars for a division two game mid-major division one mid-major division one now you're getting into 2000 or better mm-hmm. uh, for a mid-major division one game any uh additional perks like uh reimbursement for travel or anything like that no at that point um in division one everything's a flat rate so your game fee let's say your game fee is two thousand dollars but the games at south dakota state and i live in dewitt michigan Mm -hmm. so i have to get to south dakota State. state and and on to my next game. You but know, you work at the airport, so you can hop in, well, you can hop in the, yeah, in the that car. Helps. Yeah. <laughs> that helps. No. Uh, so, yeah, your flights, your meals, your hotels, uh, you know, uh, you know, basic, you know, all that travel expense is all, you know, taken out of that flat rate okay. check. That makes sense. Yeah. Power, power six uh, top conferences in the country. So, the biggest? The, uh, anywhere from 3,000 to Four thousand, you know, per, um, per game. Per game, yeah. And I would imagine with all the different mergers and stuff that are going on right now, and the mm-hmm. the players' rights with the NIL movement and stuff like that, there's. I would imagine that you would anticipate that's even continuing to rise. Yeah, I think what you're going to see in the future, and I don't know if I'll be around for this. I'm I'm a lot closer to the end of my career than the beginning. You're a healthy guy, um, though. So this is. Um, <laughs> You know, kind of looking in the crystal ball, if you can, you know, if you believe what what all the pundits uh, are saying about the future of college athletics in general, 
is I think we're looking at a haves versus have not situation. And it's probably all going to be predicated on football because that's the big money maker. The lion's share of yeah. the, the revenue and the profits. College basketball is is uh, profitable and there's a lot of money in it. But football is is a monster. And that drives all these athletic departments for okay. the most part is is football and it looks like what will happen is these power five schools will eventually split off from the NCAA for football. What that does for, for basketball, you know, the big ticket item for basketball is the NCAA, you know, basketball tournament. Yeah. Right. The March, the March madness. Yeah. Which is worth a billion dollars to, you know, CBS and its partners to, you know, that they pay the NCAA for the, for the basketball tournament. So that's, you know, the, you know, that tournament kind of funds, you know, the rest of college basketball. So it'd be interesting to see where, where it all goes though, down the road. Have you ever refereed the NCAA I've, division one men's basketball? I've tournament? not worked at the division one tournament. Have you done a division two national I, championship or final four? I've worked uh, one national championship game in division two and uh, three final fours. Okay. Very impressive. And, you know, that's one thing that I've always appreciated about you. And I think anyone who knows you would would say the same. You see a lot of people that are very uh, money hungry, career driven, that are going to cut down others to make themselves look better. Uh, And maybe that works for a short time. Maybe that'll get you in front of the right people for a year or two. But no matter what your career path is, that's not a sustainable path to success. (laughs) And, you know, I think I, I know that you for guys like me, you would go work at, uh, you know, a division one school, whatever it was, you know, central Michigan university. And then, you know, the next night you'd be coming down to me, not necessarily working at the freshman or JV level, (laughs) but we'd come down and do a high school basketball game together where you're getting paid 1800 bucks to work at CMU. And then you're getting paid $70 to come work at me at Bath. Okay. So, can you tell me about, um, was there ever a moment when you were officiating where you're like, like, this is cool. Like I, I, I made it or I, I, I'm thinking particularly of maybe your first division one assignment or your first larger school division one assignment where it kind of felt like, wow, this was worth it. This 10, 15 year grind of, mm-hmm. you know, working the small schools. Yeah. Getting hired into a division one conference was, was momentous. That, that was a big, big deal. Uh, my first, and what age, what age did that happen? Uh, I was 30. Um, and my, my, uh, first conference was the horizon league. Okay. So that was, that, that was big. Um, that helped, uh, kind of push, push things along a little bit. Feel quite a bit of pressure when you were first starting. I'm sure you yeah. don't feel that as much now, but back right. then was it kind of yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. What to say. I don't want to make sure I say the right thing to the coach. I don't want to miss any obvious calls. Yeah, my partners are judging me, <laughs> and that's the thing. You want to you want to feel like you belong. You want others to accept you, and you know, and just accept the fact that you're there and can do the job. You know, mm-hmm. um, so that was that was helpful. Once you know, you you get your feet wet and kind of get acclimated to the bigger arenas or the, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, as far as the first time I felt like I had a, that moment where, you know, I, I was lucky enough to um, open the season at Michigan state one year Mm -hmm. and I had never, I hadn't worked 
um, I hadn't worked a big 10 game and I, so I certainly hadn't worked at, at Michigan state and I was able to do that with, with quite a few family members there. And, and that was, that was pretty cool. Is that recent or was that a while back or yeah, that was probably 10 years ago now. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, very cool. So did, did you feel differently when you were working the game or once after the first couple whistles and once you get, once you get that first one out of the way, it was like, okay, yeah. I belong. This is just another game. Yeah. Yeah. I think you feel all that beforehand. And then once you get rolling, it's just a basketball game. Yeah. That one probably took a little bit longer right. to get to that feeling. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, at some <clears throat> point you get to where, you know, you better get focused on what is in front of you and, and the job that you're doing. Uh, Cause if you're distracted in, in any way, it's, it's going to show up for sure. Yeah. Now I've also refereed at Michigan state. I think you also got me the job. Your paycheck was a little bit different than mine, but a few years back it was midnight madness. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it was a good time. It was at midnight. So it was way past my bedtime. I was very, I was very tired. I fell asleep yeah. on the court. Basically <laughs> I literally almost did though, because I remember refing and coach Izzo was coaching one team and his assistant, I forgot his name, but he's at Indiana now. Okay. Um, Dane Fife. Fife, yeah. yeah. He was coaching the other team. Super intense. Like, treated it like a normal game. Like, he was screaming yeah. at his guys. Right. It was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And, you know, the guys are running up and down. They're just trying not to get injured, basically, and yeah. put on a show for the fans. The place is pretty packed. Yeah. And so it's probably the most people I've ever refereed in front of, even though it's like this practice game. Right. And uh, there was this foul right in front of me. I was on the baseline, and guy rows up for a shot and he just gets clambered on the on the arm and the shot comes up way short and he looked at me and raised his hands and I just raised my hands back at him and we went the other way and I was just like that's as bad of a missed call as you can get and I was almost happy it happened because once it happened I was like all right here we go like I'm, I'm focused up. in now yeah, yeah, yeah right woke you up. You're like, oh I better do my job yeah, right, right yeah, yeah. not just running back. around yeah. <laughs> so that was a good experience for yeah. me um now so memorable game for you any memorable which i hate to i hate to use names when yeah. i talk in the podcast because there's so many people that impact us in refereeing and in life but was there any partners that you worked with that either were just consistently a treat to work with or you know maybe somebody that you had seen on tv multiple times and you maybe didn't really know personally but when you first worked with them you were like oh wow like yeah this i should be paying to referee this game not being paid to ref it yeah uh for sure um in that regard uh joe de rosa is on the top of that list you know joe was a 20 plus year nba referee worked you know multiple nba finals and then retired from the nba and decided to to uh come back and work college basketball and i was able to work with him multiple times and and he's not only is a is a great basketball official uh, but he's a mentor and and a, a phenomenal teacher of the of the craft mm -hmm. so working with him um i got better every time i was around him let alone just working with him yeah you know, just listening and watching and seeing how he you know went about his business um was always always educational i've always found that you learn a lot from other referees just by being around them mm -hmm. and watch them operate their business. I know for me, there's a guy named Greg Langsdorf, mm -hmm. uh, who is a, a division one referee. I would imagine kind of similar level to you. And mm -hmm. Greg was, uh, roughing with me. One of my first 
division two games, conference games. So it's a little bit more on the line than a non-conference game. And I'm a little bit nervous to work at him, you know, the new guy, there's no surprises there and working with another division one referee and coach starts riding me a little bit and we go back and forth, continue on and starts riding me a little bit again. And Greg, he doesn't warn him. He doesn't, he just tease him. Mm -hmm. And it was just so cool to me that like, there was his way of handling it and it handled it. Like it was great. And yeah. I remember talking in the pregame with Greg, all three of us were talking and refereeing. We do something called a pregame where we sit down for half hour, hour before the game, we're getting dressed. We talk through the night, we talk through different points of emphasis or things that our boss has brought up to, to us lately that they want us to focus on. And Greg was not the referee on the game. So referee, you know, there's three officials on a college basketball game. There's the R, the referee for the night. They're kind of the the one that's in charge. Not really that much different than the other two guys, but they usually throw up the jump ball. And then there's two umpires. And Greg was the most tenured, senior, highest level working guy, but he was not the R. Mm -hmm. And so he goes, doesn't matter who's the R on paper. Once the ball goes up, coaches will be able to figure out who who the R is. <laughs> and then sure enough, couple you know yeah. minutes later uh he's teeing one of the coaches everybody else does because i'm a fighter that's the way i'm made adrian that's what you marry we can't change what we are it was just a cool experience to then like because then the next time i'm working i know okay don't tolerate don't tolerate that conversation from mm -hmm. that coach or mm -hmm. yeah and maybe don't handle it the exact same way he handled it but there's a line that's going to be drawn. It's probably a little bit different for most referees yeah. to some extent, but I, I didn't learn that from him telling me that I learned it from seeing him do it. Yeah. And it sounds like you've had yeah. a similar experience with Joe and maybe some other division one guys. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a name. Most people know if you're a college basketball fan, uh, Ted Valentine. Oh, and TV Teddy is yeah, as some TV people like Teddy, to call him. Yeah, yeah. Who I will tell you, Ted Valentine is a phenomenal person and a great, uh, ambassador for officials and, and loves to look out for young, young referees. And, um, mm -hmm. we worked a game together at Michigan state, okay. um, in which, uh, the first half Ted wasn't real happy with, uh, some of the screening that was going on on both sides. Uh, he thought that we were allowing a little, a uh, little, we were being a little too lenient on illegal screens in the first half. Mm -hmm. So at halftime, he said, uh, he said, I'm tired of looking at these uh, marginal screens. I'm going to take care of it. So being, you know, <laughs> uh, like you said, not the crew chief, definitely not the referee that day. You know, when you're working with Ted Valentine, he's the referee. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I said, okay, let's see what happens here. And we went. Um, <laughs> you're just going to stand back and watch at this point. I mean, it's the first, I believe it was the first four possessions of the second half. He had an illegal screen, <laughs> two on each team. And after the fourth one, uh, I was now positioned in front of, he started going a little crazy over, you know, the fact that Teddy was calling all these illegal screens. And, <laughs> and I, you know, he's yelling at me because I'm the one in front of him. And I just said, I said, Tom, why are you, why are you yelling at me? yeah yeah <laughs> he's right oh, yeah. there well i didn't even get that out of my mouth when ted's coming like a beeline right to coach Izzo, basically telling me he's coming to that position to stand in, in, in front of the, the msu 
bench for that possession and telling me to to get out of there. <laughs> and I and I remember him saying, uh, he looked at Izzo and he said, Is he goes, I don't want to hear it. I'm on a roll. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Only only a guy of, of that stature can get away. You know, oh, yeah. and it, that has been in the spots that he's been in and has the respect of the coaches, you know, that the he does can get away with with uh, saying oh, something yeah. like that to a, to a Tom Izzo. So yeah. have you now paid it forward? Have you now refereed with a newer guy and say, hey, coach, you know, now, I, now tonight I'm on a roll. Right. Yeah. I, I haven't used that line. But, uh, yeah, there's, you know, the, look, when, when we're, we're all that guy at whatever level, you know, right. you know right. whether you have to go all the way down to the high school level to be that guy or maybe just, you know, as, you know, a, a mid-major uh, Division One game for me, I can, you know, kind of assert myself a little bit more than I could at a level that I'm not, um, you know, not one of the considered one of the the top guys like a Ted Valentine, right? And, and so, maybe not as just recognized. I mean, you think yeah, Tom Izzo right. and There's Ted Valentine have there. probably seen each other hundreds of times. Right. So, uh, you know, as much as 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 Tom was wasn't liking what Ted was doing in that moment, I'm sure it didn't surprise him because he's you know has has had you know him on enough games that he knows that Ted's going to take care of what you know what needs to be taken care of. Sure. You know? Um, and they probably recognize the gravity of the moment too, where yeah. the, Ted's probably refereed Tom Izzo in a final four before yeah. where, right. you know, there's yeah. a lot riding on. Yeah. And more, this was not that. This, this was right. a this was <laughs> You know, this was a non-conference, uh, you know, power five school versus a mid-major school. You know, it was clear, you know, what the outcome of the game was going to be. It wasn't, you know, there was no, uh, there wasn't a whole lot riding on it from a competitive standpoint, but yeah. It's just how it goes. And I would imagine, I think um, that a lot of the people that we see working on TV, whether it's you know any of those big conference games, it seems like it's consistently the same 20 to 30 guys are refing mm-hmm. 80 to 90% of the games. Uh, and a big part of that is the familiarity and the uh, consistently getting good ratings and consistently known from the coaches. They know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the different levels too. I think, for you, I remember you came down and worked a game with me. We were working out in Indiana, and uh, the coach was yelling at the crew for some reason. I don't remember. And you addressed him, and he had made a snarky comment. It wasn't loud. He had said to you, you know, Jeff, what do you do for a, a day job? And uh, you said, accurately, this. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a referee. <laughs> and he said, yeah, well, don't don't quit your day job or something like, <laughs> like that. Like you're not good enough to be a referee. So make sure you keep your other job. And, and you stopped and assessed him uh, appropriately, a technical foul. And that was the end of it. And I just remember thinking how clueless this coach was not to recognize the stature of referee that he's getting to come down and work for 150 bucks and travel two hours to get to this game in rural Indiana. Uh, that, you know, just the arrogance and, naivety of so many fans and coaches. I don't want to rag on coaches because they've got a really challenging job too. They're managing all ki- all kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't want to be judged by them, nor will I judge them because we've both got plenty of things to balance. But the typical fan, it's like these people just, you know, watch on TV and they think they know everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess the, the question I've got here for you is 
what do a lot of people not realize about working at, at your level? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest misconception that people have, and, and I think it, it includes coaches and players, mm-hmm. um, is that when the game ends, we just move on and go to our next game. And, and that's that. Where you alluded to earlier about watching film and putting in all that work off the court, um, we there really is. Uh, I want to use the word accountability because they, you know, that's the word they always throw out that, you know, they're they're judged on win losses and mm-hmm. we can do whatever we want and we're not accountable, um, which is not the case. Um, there's scrutiny from our bosses as well, but it's more for me. It's always been more. Uh, self-scrutiny more. I'm, I'm not going to go out there unprepared and I don't feel like uh, if I don't put in the work off the court that I'm, that I'm doing my, I'm doing a disservice to the game. If I'm not one rules knowledge, you can't be the guy that is unsure about what to do when you get a a weird play, a a weird rule or something like that that happens. You have to know. Somebody right. checks into the game with the wrong number. The, the number doesn't Stuff match like up with the back of their you shirt know. to the book. And there's any number of scenarios that you have to. Well, I, I don't think. Let me stop you for a minute because yeah. I, don't, I don't think people understand how complex the rule book is. I right. mean, you have to take a test at the beginning of the year to yeah. get certified yeah. and pay a whole bunch of fees on top of it, which for you is probably chump change. But for someone who's not making, yeah. you know, tons of money, it's pretty big fees. And uh, the rule book and the questions on the rules test are very complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- anyway, continue. So that, that's, I think the, the amount of work that we do off the court probably is one thing that, that they don't see, that they don't, you know, expect. I remember, you know, I've had a coach say something like, you need to, you need to watch that on film or when they think, you know, <laughs> and, you know, are you going to, you know, will you see that? On, and, and I always say, I watch every game. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to watch this one. You right. Know, I'm breaking down every game. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to, if I miss that, I'll, I'll see it and I'll know it. Um, so that's, you know, that's one thing I think probably they probably don't, most people probably don't understand uh, what it takes to kind of get to, um, you know, not just, you know, division one basketball, but just to work college basketball at all takes, you know, uh, a financial commitment to go in to camps. Um, 90% of basketball officials, officials in general are, are making very little money. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, there's a money component to it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's an avocation for, for 90 to 95% of those that do it. Um, and it's just kind of a little, you know, a little side hustle, you know, money wise, mm-hmm. it might, fund a nice vacation for your family or something like that. You know, it probably doesn't pay off if you looked at it from strictly a, you know, per hour, what you're making. <laughs> yeah. Right. But there, there's so many more things that you get out of it, you know, the, the make up for that. Probably. So, so I have a few different thoughts here. Number one, I can certainly vouch and agree with you and for you that you care about every game you referee with. That actually caught me off guard when I first started working with you because I knew you'd work Division One. You'd come down and work a small high school game with me. 
And when you showed up to the game, you were you were dressed appropriately mm-hmm. to show up in jeans. You got a coffee before the game, so you know, which was a good tradition here of the of guys like you and me who like yeah. to get our coffee, prepare us mentally. Uh, and then you would ref the previous night, and you were going to ref the following night. And you got there an hour early, as the boss requested. Uh, like you embodied all of the things that people uh, had preached and were expected of us, whether you were getting paid seventeen hundred bucks or. Seventy dollars, mm-hmm. and that really surprised me, uh, and you know, rubbed off on me to where I tried to continue to do that in the following years, where I was refing more and more games as mm-hmm. well. I mean, we talked through scenarios, got all these, put all these nuggets of wisdom in my head prior to the start of the game. So, hey, if something like this comes up, mm-hmm. here's how we're going to handle it, yeah. and you're just so much more prepared for the game, uh, and that's a good skill for really any area uh, of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always used to say, control the things you can control. Cause there's right. going to be some things that come up that you can't control. Right. Right. Yeah. Team's going to use an extra timeout that, you know, they didn't realize they were out of time. Something like you can't control that necessarily, right. but yeah. all the things that, um, you know, you can prepare for, you should prepare for. Yeah. And, and I also thought about how you said the, the amount of time and commitment maybe doesn't pay off at like at the hourly rate. But referees, like, I'm so happy that I spent 10 years of my life doing it, you know, assuming I, I don't return to it in the future. But both as a teacher and as a referee, I think there's invaluable skills that mm-hmm. carry over into every other walk of, of life. And yeah. it's like even in job interviews today, when people are asking me about my experience, I go way back to when I was officiating and I talk about communication, right. responsibility, you know, knowing rules, mm-hmm. uh, communicating with partners, with yeah. coaches. Conflict um, resolution, conflict resolution, <laughs> yeah. performing in front of other people. I mean, right. it's not a performance, it's a job, but there right. are hundreds of people watching you yeah. in some of these games or in your case, thousands, um, except for when there was COVID, nobody was in the stands. I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but this is really good. Just sort of life skills that refereeing builds. Mm-hmm. It's quiet. Too quiet. Where is everybody? Okay, Jeff. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, I teach high school and I've got students that, you know, I got, I remember one student at Portland had known that I had refereed and was, you know, asking me all about it. He was a, uh, he was a high school student, but he was also the assistant coach for one of the football teams, maybe the JV football team. And he was really into sports. And because he liked me, uh, he asked about refereeing and wanted to get into that. Now, mm-hmm. I know you're very well connected to the Lansing community, but you know maybe you can speak about that or speak more generally. Because as I said, here at the JP Money Podcast, we're an international podcast. Sure. Uh, why should you know maybe young people consider it as a job or side job, and how do they? How would they get started? Because you and I are pretty connected to a lot of other people, but if you yeah. don't really know people, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question because it's a, it's a major problem across the United States. I, I can't speak internationally uh, like you can <laughs> as an international podcast. Gotta, gotta, talk to, uh, gotta talk to my agent. But across the United States, we're, we're in a crisis of, of a lack of, of officials for, for youth, uh, youth games, you know, through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, games are being canceled at the high school level left and right for lack of officials. Um, the biggest reasons are adults treating officials poorly, mm-hmm. um, which drives out, especially our younger, younger referees. Um, right. And retaining them for future years. Yep. I mean, yeah. Cause 
the the numbers show that uh, when we get when we get a new, especially a younger official, um, through the door, we get them through the, those first barriers, which are getting registered and and investing some money in equipment and 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 kind of learning the you know kind of the uh, you know the off court route to obtaining assignments and actually starting to work Mm -hmm. that if we can get them through their first three years, you're probably going to end up with a 30 year official at the end of their career. Um, unless things away from officiating change, like their job or, you know, family things happen. But for the most part, the, if you can get them through the first three years, that's where the pitfalls are. And uh, most of those involve, dealing with unruly parents or coaches of youth teams or even in the the high school. So really we have to give those, those young officials, the tools to be able, the tools to, to deal with, with those people and those situations when they arise, but also to let them understand that, yes, that's going to happen to a degree, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, to put up with, with, you know, a lot of that stuff. You don't have to feel unsafe in the work environment. Sure. So there are, there are ways to, to work through those things and, and, and without just giving up on fishing completely. As far as starting, how do you start? You know, it's a lot of time, most of the time, it's um, somebody that you know is a referee, like what happened with you and your student. Mm-hmm. He found out that you refereed, and he's like, "Oh, that, you know, piqued his interest in in learning how to become." Yeah, that's how official. I started. My sister yeah, and my right. family Your sister yeah. was refereeing. Um, yeah, and then and so in the most cases, it's kind of you know this avocation is kind of uh, passed on from generation to generation, and and that's kind of the mindset of you know kind of most of us who do this is we're going to find, you know, that next, that next guy, that next girl that that's going to kind of, we're going to bring them in and we're going to mentor them. And we're going to, you know, you were one of those guys for me that mm-hmm. I recognized a little bit of talent the first just time, a little bit, just a little bit. The first time you refereed at Michigan state, <laughs> it was not a pretty sight, but I saw, I could see some I things saw there. What, I saw your height and yeah, thought, all I, right, I, he probably knows something about I could, basketball. I could see some things there. I, I, I always tell the younger guys, I don't care if you screw up, screw up being aggressive and we can fix that. We can work with that. If you're yeah. aggressive and you mess up, I can work with that. And, and I and, saw that right off the bat. You were, you were aggressive. You had no idea what you were doing, but you're aggressive. And <laughs> I was, I I was work with that. Uh, yeah, right. right. You blew the whistle out. You projected confidence. We're terribly you know. wrong. Uh, well, uh, the majority but, of the calls, but it was, I looked I can, like I knew what I was doing. Exa- yeah. I can teach you. I can teach you how, you know, what a foul looks like, what a travel looks like. I can teach you the rules. I can teach you the mechanics and the, I can put you in the right position to see plays. It's really hard to teach confidence it's really hard to teach you know kind of a presence mm-hmm. that you look for in an in a new official um reminds me a lot of teaching like being yeah, in front of a classroom in front of kids i mean yeah. it's like there's some things that are just intangible skills that you have it someone a good to kind of yeah. yeah and yeah you're comfortable talking you're comfortable making a mistake and admitting it and moving on and right 
you know yeah yeah there's a lot of a lot of similarities there but there, there's definitely you know we can kind of i i can watch a new official at camp for 10 minutes yeah and i can tell you whether or not you know they're gonna have the potential to really be good at this it doesn't mean they can't you know be a referee at some level but you know there there are certain things and you know we're all a little bit a little bit crazy too because you kind of got to be you got to have a little screw loose you know in order to want to be the guy that gets yelled at all the time right you know if you ask most normal people they would and told them, you know, ask them if they wanted to be a referee. Most of them would tell you, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, That's the last like the thing. Line, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd ever you shut that do. down real right. quick. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of look for that, you know. The guy that's got the screw loose a little bit. And we've talked about that, you and me being just, I don't remember the phrase you used, but the, it was like the the runt child of the family or something like that, <laughs> where my brother Nathan is, you know, the older, better version of me that right. just has got a better job, got all this stuff, and your brother's doctor. Right? So it's yeah. just like, yeah. all right, we were, we were you know, segmented here in yep. refereeing and it worked out for you and it did for me for a while. Yeah. Um, but it does take a special personality. Yeah. And now, it does. and now people are signing up. Even if you just get connected to five, 10 referees, that will probably open up other doors and you'll learn about the youth sports. That's going to yeah. change everywhere. There is a movement in, uh, in Michigan okay. from the Michigan high school athletic association, um, is, is putting together a package that would go to all the high schools okay. and can be used in a curriculum, whether yeah. it be its own class or um, a part of a, a phys ed class or a part of a health class. Yeah. Economics, maybe. Yeah. Just, maybe. To, just to introduce high school kids to the idea of official possibility. Right. And, and we've always said if every school in this, in our area uh, gave us one graduating senior a year, We'd never have a shortage be of sad. officials, yeah. you know. Right, and and that that's all it takes is is that one, maybe that that athlete that you know isn't going to continue playing in college or or the 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 kid who was around the team, you know, in some capacity that is looking to to you know maintain a relationship with with sports. Um, it's you know. For all of us, you can be a, a Hall of Fame pro player. Your career is going to end at some point. Right. right. And for most of us, that happens when you graduate high school. For most athletes, your career ends uh, yeah. at 18 years old. If right. you're lucky, if you're lucky, it ends when you're 22. So there's a lot of time left to maintain a connection to the sport you grew up playing and loving. Yeah. I mean, in your case, 30 more years or right. whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, which is really cool because yeah. if you don't use it, you kind of lose it. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you were 18, now you're 36, yeah. right. and you've been disconnected from basketball for 15 years. Right. Yeah. Not the same. No, it isn't. You know, you can, yeah. I mean, I don't want to go play pickleball every day. You know? <laughs> so if you're in the I, nice community of Duet, though, I'm sure you've got some good pickleball <laughs> courts here. Right? Yeah, we, the we, local municipal coming. government yeah, will take it's care coming. of it. Yeah. Um, so, in, and we can't speak for every state, but normally your local community will have probably an association. I'm sure they're different. And, yeah. and what's ours called? The Capital Area of, 
Officials Association. Okay. Is, CAOA. CAOA is the the Lansing area in Michigan here. And um, phenomenal boss is Mike still running running yeah, it. Yeah. Mike uh, Conlon had a. Uh, I was looking in in prep for this interview. Mm-hmm. I was searching online uh, different things about the referee community because I've been out of it for a couple of years now, and I had I had saw and you talked about the importance of as an older official supporting the younger officials through those first three years mm-hmm. where, you know, Mike had had an email that he had sent out stating like, Hey, if you are a CAOA referee, you should not be criticizing other CAOA mm-hmm. referees, whether it's basketball, football, other sports, we're trying to build, uh, especially for younger referees, but for everyone, it's kind of a brotherhood and kind of a family. Yeah. The, the more enmeshed you get into it. Yeah. And even now when I'm watching games, like I can certainly admit if a referee makes a mistake and, and as you mentioned, the referee is probably the first one to know it and yeah. to be upset about it themselves. It's not mm-hmm. like it was done on purpose. Um, and so, you know, I Mike had sent out a message to the whole group saying, Hey, this is what we're about. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to grow as a group and retain new officials, you shouldn't be slamming other referees yeah. on social media or in person or whatever. That's yeah. just a insidious sort of negative. It's a family. Emotion. It's yeah. it, it's a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Uh, my best friends are are referees, and it's just like you see, you find that kindred spirit in another person that you know is um, you know is a little bit off, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spend so much time and effort and energy and our families sacrifice so much. So I, I've been lucky enough um, over the past 10 years to work the uh, tournament in Cancun, Mexico mm-hmm. over uh, the week of Thanksgiving. And it's been uh, a real uh, similar group every year, you know, uh, here or there, one or two new people come in, but, but the core of the group has been the same officials and, uh, you know, if you're going to go work a tournament for, you know, five days in, in Cancun, Mexico in, in November, you're going to bring your wife. You got to bring the spouse along. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's got a benefit. You have to bring your, your wife. So, uh, I'm sure she doesn't mind that one bit. No, that's good, by the pool a little bit. Yeah. That's a fun trip. And does she go to the games or does she, she does stay? actually. Oh, okay. And I, I tell her every year, you don't need to spend one second in the gym watching me referee. Right. And she's there every game sitting right you know that i'm working got a loyal spouse but the um the the networking that happens with the with the wives at at something like that is is great because they can talk about you know their challenges and their especially when when our kids were younger it's more challenging now you know we're empty nesters and so you know me being gone six nights in a row in the during the basketball season isn't as big a deal as it was when the kids were younger, but it's still, I mean, she's a basketball widow. Sure. You know, for four months. Half the year. Yeah. Yeah. Not not quite, but it's good to know she takes care of some of the, or she gets some of the perks that come along with refereeing because there's not very many of them. So when when you get a trip to Cancun, (laughs) yeah, you bring her along to make sure she better. We actually just took a a trip um, earlier this, uh, at the end of May, we went, uh, we went to Charleston, South Carolina, Ooh. had never been there. Uh, Kathy had never been there and, nice. and spent, uh, spent a week and it was the, we just, we had to look back and figure it out, but it was the first time in 20 <laughs> years, uh, that we took a vacation 
the two of us that didn't involve uh, either, you know, uh, one of our son's uh, baseball tournaments or one of my uh, basketball games or, you know, there was, uh-huh. there was no game involved. You didn't know what to do with yourself. It you guys just were sitting vacation. Down, drinking some Charleston tea <laughs> right. down, exactly. in the, down in the deep south. Right. And we're just hanging out. Right. You know, we got to talk you know, about we're on our hair. own schedule. We didn't have to like, <laughs> you know, when, when obviously when we go to uh, Mexico, you know, I have, I have a game, you know, so the game kind of dictates the whole day. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah you're in, you're in a re- all-inclusive resort in, you know, Cancun, Cancun yeah. but still the game kind of dictates your day, you know, where it's, this was like the first time we kind of went, huh, this was kind of cool. We didn't have uh, anything sports related, you know, driving the agenda. Well, so that was fun. I just want to add that teaching also has Thanksgiving break off okay. and I'm available <laughs> right? for the Cancun. If Kathy doesn't want to right. go right. or something I'll, like I'll that, bring you along. Yeah. let me know. I can slide into that airplane for sure. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Well, as you know, I really appreciate your interview today. I'm going to be closing you off here with a couple of questions. And actually, there was one more quick question I wanted to ask. Um, because you talked about how coaches don't realize or fans might not realize that we really do care and we put a lot of effort into what we do, just like they all do. Mm -hmm. Um, So during the summertime, it's not like you're just totally off. I mean, yeah, you get to go to Charleston and and take, you know, go to your son's baseball games, but I assume you work at some of these camps that you probably also recommend newer officials do not only to get their name out there, but also to work on their skills a little bit and learn because you are learning from the pros. You, most camps have clinicians that are working college basketball. So mm-hmm. um, just curious how much time you've spent this summer or most summers doing referee related stuff. So this summer I've spent, let's, I went as a, as a camper to one, uh, one camp mm-hmm. that was um, two and a half days of, um, and that was the, the big 10 staff, camp sat down in indianapolis this was in indianapolis um um and then i taught at two other camps camps that were run by lower you know small college those are usually like longer weekends typically right a a friday saturday sunday yep yeah two days or three days um at a on a college campus and you know so you're taking a couple weekends out of yeah out of the summer to do uh, that, that kind of stuff. And at your level, I mean, the scrimmages start mid October Mm -hmm. essentially. And if you're working postseason, you're going into the middle March. Yeah. Uh, so this, this isn't just a a job where like that coach that said, don't, you know, stick to your full-time job Right. that, you know, this is almost a year round job and you get your breaks, but you can't, and you can't just put it away, you know, when the, season ends and picking it back up in, in October, you know, I spend a part of every day, uh, either reading the rule book or looking at film, um, obviously trying to stay in some kind of shape over the mental shape over the winter in physical, physical shape over the winter. So that's, um, you know, there's not a day of the year that goes by without some kind of preparation for the coming season or, you know, Awesome. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Giving us some really good perspective, Jeff, thinking about refereeing. Yeah. Um, really glad I could get you for the podcast. I know there's a lot of people that 
uh, wouldn't want to share, make time to share. So oh, this uh, is great. Um, I, I, like you said, we hadn't seen each other in a little bit. It was nice a two to for one. Spend some time together. Absolutely, you yeah. haven't changed a bit. Yeah, same with you. You well, you're growing up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I got some facial hair now. Right? right? Yeah. You, yeah. you don't look 12 yeah. anymore. You yeah. look 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still look pretty young. All right. So I've got some hot seat questions for okay. you. Here we go. Hot seat question number one, mm-hmm. Jeff. What is your favorite book? Doesn't matter, uh, nonfiction, fiction, whatever. My favorite book is called A Prayer for Owen Meany. It's about, it was, they made a movie, but the movie wasn't very good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend the movie. Didn't follow the book very closely, but, um, okay. So, yeah, it's about a young, a young kid who, uh, is a little physically challenged and, um, kind of, uh, some things happen in his life. And, and really, it's about him finding his purpose and his, uh, his calling in life, what he's here for. Okay. Yeah. And the so, people around him, how they treat him and, and help him in that regard. I got to get my hands so, on that. It sounds yeah, like a good, really good, a good, powerful book. It yeah, is. Yeah. It is. It's really good. What's your favorite movie? My favorite movie is Goodfellas. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's that actor's <laughs> name again? Uh, Ray Liotta. Yeah. He yeah. just passed. He just passed yeah, away. Yeah, right? yeah. Actually, so did Paul Sorvino just passed too. He's all, he was Another also one? in good, Goodfellas. Yeah. Is that the one where they put the hit on on someone, or is that my uh, thinking of Godfather? Movie, so yeah, 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 yeah. There's a always a hit on somebody. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's an intense. Godfather movie. would be my second favorite movie. But I love movies. I'm a big movie guy. And you know, speaking of people passing away, there was a and as I as I told you, I like to prepare for these interviews, put together yeah. a few questions to think about your life. I also got on to social media, the interwebs, and was looking okay. at a little bit of yours and. Yeah. I saw that you had met earlier on in your life. Uh, I think it's Vin, Vin Scully. Yeah, Vin yeah. Scully. Yeah. Uh, and so I was doing a little bit of research on him, announcer, <laughs> broadcaster for the Dodgers. Yep. Did you meet him back when you were umpire? I met or? him. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. Um, what happens when you're uh, a minor league umpire? You get assigned to a uh, a specific um, spring training site for the the whatever that team's minor league games. Um, so I was lucky enough to get assigned to Dodger town wow. in 96, um, which trust me, there, there are varying degrees of assignments when it comes to spring training. The, the, the teams that you think of that have the money, right. Uh, typically it's a better, uh, a better, better time, dig. Yeah, right. um, where the ones that don't, you know, can really nickel and dime you. So that was a good one to get this put in. A, your it team. was a great one. It was yeah. the best one at, at the yeah. time. Uh, they've since moved, the Dodgers have since moved. This was when they were in Vero Beach, uh, Florida, and, okay. and they had they call it was Dodger Town, and it was the same same place that you know Jackie Robinson walked on the field, and you know so it, it, there's a lot of history to it. Um, but we happened to um, we went into the dining hall for lunch, which typically you'd go uh, eat, you know, and and you'd have a one o'clock game. So as an umpire, we'd get to the ballpark a little before noon go in, get a bite to eat, and then get ready to go umpire a game. And at that point, usually all the players are gone because they're already out on the field, you know, getting ready uh, for the game that afternoon. And uh, we were sitting at a table and there was an empty seat. And Vin Scully walked over. Uh-huh. And, and he's kind of like a superstar in your in your world, right? I mean, for, he's a yeah. fa- very famous. Very famous. Uh, you know, At a time when broadcasting, I mean, that was one of the primary modes of hearing and listening to him. Yeah. baseball game yeah i mean he'd been around since like the 1950s the, 60s oh, before right? that and, the 30s yeah, yeah. so he, yeah he had a, a, a 
very storied career. Obviously, if you're a baseball fan at all, you know Vince Gill. Yeah. So, like if you're a Detroit fan, you know who Ernie Ernie Harwell is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so Vin Scully asked us if he could join us <laughs> yeah. and we're like yeah of course yeah, right. you know, yeah how much money do you want right. yeah yeah will you please yeah. and uh was able you know to sit and listen to him you know for an hour or so but he was a huge uh supporter of umpires in general he he got to know the major league guys and if you were ever at a game at dodger stadium you would see that and this doesn't happen anywhere but the crew when they walked out to home plate uh, before the game, the four guys working that day would always uh, point or uh, tip their hat to to Vin Scully up in the press box. Oh, really? And he would do it back to them um, because he 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 did he was always fair over the airways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to them, and he also would take the time to get to know get him to know him as people, yeah, yeah, not just a person wearing a uniform, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was just that kind of guy, and I like I could have listened to him for days, just tell stories, but he would he was asking as many questions as he was answering because he wanted to know who we were and our you know our story, yeah. and, and you know when you run into people like that who who don't put on airs and don't talk down, down to, yeah. to you know i mean he obviously could have acted better than than us you know yeah and, and would have been treated as such right <laughs> right um those are my favorite kind of people you know, you know? he was just a real person and yeah. that's the, you know it, it was sad to see him pass away this week but 94 years old i mean that's a that's a full life. You ran a good race. Yeah. What are the elements and the qualities of the great baseball announcers that you have been acquainted with? Above all, I guess, besides the obvious, you'd like him to be, uh, uh, besides accurate, entertaining, and informative, and if he can be slightly humorous, friendly, down to earth, I think all of those qualities go into the mix. I love this game. I tried to play it. I didn't play it very well all through high school and college. I knew I couldn't play it professionally. And as I told you earlier, I think it's the best game ever devised. Makes me think, and I never knew Tony Payne, but I know all of you local referees talk about Tony's legacy and how yeah. he'd referee games with you. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, at least when I was refereeing a few years ago, the local high school association would have one game where they put extra guys on the field to referee yeah. and it would all be people who generally uh, embodied Tony's characteristics yeah. or knew Tony personally. And, yeah. and you guys would have a blast just honoring him and remembering Still him. Still do it. Yeah. Still do it to this day. We do it. Cause those are the people uh, that probably, you know, yeah. could have acted bigger and better than other people, but did the exact opposite. hundred percent. He was yeah. that guy. Yeah. All right, Jeff, I got two more questions for you. Okay. Okay. And this one's a little deeper here. So take okay. your time thinking about it if you need to. Okay. I remember when your dad passed away about five years ago, yeah. you were uh, emotionally as any son would be, you know, emotionally, you know, going through a lot of processing with that. Yeah. So now that that's sunk in a little bit, what qualities about your dad do you either remember most or do you appreciate most that you think is now maybe you're hoping to instill yourself Yeah. now that you've got kids and grand grandkid now yeah, too right yeah, your grandpa your granddaughter. grandpa's yeah. My granddaughter yeah so what what stood out from your dad's the way he carried himself and the way he lived his life yeah boy that's a that's that's a good question um you know my dad was a was a great father um he was a great provider um he was there 
when if you needed if you needed a guy to at one o'clock in the morning to come pick you up on the side of the road because you ran out of gas, he was that guy. Um, he was just when you needed him, he was there. And I've tried to be that mm-hmm. for my kids. Um, later in his life, when he started having grandkids, mm-hmm. a whole different side of him came out. You know, um, he was never he was never that real emotional uh, kind of, you know, tell you I love you, uh, although he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like a daily, you know, he was he was, you know, he had expectations of me and my brother, especially. Uh-huh. Um, and and could, you know, you know, set set a bar for you um, and would know when you screwed up. Sure. We'll call you on it. It holds you accountable. Yeah. 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 When he started, when the grandkids started coming, was acting up at, I don't know, four or five years old, uh-huh. as four or five year olds will do. Sure. And I kind of got after him a little bit. And I remember him telling me, you don't, you don't need to, to, you know, be that, that hard on him. And I looked at him and said, <laughs> who are you? Yeah. <laughs> who are you? And where did you come from? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, no, it, he was a great, they, like the kids called him Papa. He was, okay. he was a phenomenal Papa. And, and that's what my granddaughter calls me now. And I just try to live up to, to those things that he, you know, really embodied, uh, especially, you know, later in his life. So yeah. can, can you relate to his sort of transition from being a father to grandfather as For you sure. sort of are like from being hard on your kids to completely oh, guys, life is short. Yeah. Let's appreciate this. Oh, uh, Vivian, my granddaughter, she can do no wrong. You yeah. Know, in, in your eyes. eyes. Yeah. 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 She's one and a half. And, you know, uh, in, unless it's, unless she's about to, you know, physically injure herself, she doesn't hear the word no from me. Yeah. yeah. You know? She gets the opposite. <laughs> Whatever she wants to do. That's what we do. You yeah. know, and uh yeah and that that's that's been that's just been phenomenal that's awesome i can't it's a fun life transition oh it's it's the best we talk about you know and you know uh, i'm sure if you talk to your dad you it's all the you love your kids you know you love you love your kids like no other but there's a whole um set of worries and just stress that comes along with parenthood with grandparenthood. It's just all the love. There's no, <laughs> just all the good stuff. There's no stress. There's no, cause not, you know, one, you have a perspective of for the most part, things are just going to work out, right. you know, for You've the, the long term perspective where when you're right in the middle of it, it's kind of, it's hard to see the big picture, but okay. when, when you're set back and you know, your kids have grown and all the things you thought were going to, you know, were so important in the moment, really, when you look back on it, we're, yeah, they were important, but to work yourself up. Yeah. To stress an, out over and mull over and yeah, steal your mental energy. wasn't worth it. Right. Yeah. And now with grandkids, you just go, Right. You know, it's all gravy at that point. You know. It's a cool life experience that not yeah. everybody gets to, you know, even having kids, yeah. let alone having grandkids. I mean. Yeah. And we're a- lucky, too, that they live, uh, you know, so close. Mm-hmm. They're 10 minutes away. Yeah. And you do a little yeah. bit of a, a grandchild watching on a yeah. weekly basis, right? Yeah, I see, her, I see her a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we're, I 
saw her last night. You know, she calls you Papa. You she say? calls me Papa. Papa. Yeah. 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 Does that make you feel like your dad kind of? Well, it does, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's big shoes to fill too. Oh yeah. You know, I right. want to be. You know. You know, they want to sure be that guy. Great, yeah. You know, but yeah, it's fun. It's, I'm sure it's you will of, hear from lot of the mother and the father if you are doing something wrong. <laughs> well, but I hear, I hear more. You know that I uh, that I'm already spoiling. Stop spoiling her, her yeah, too much. Both yeah, me right. and Kit, you know, are, are already spoiling her. You right. know, but she, it's okay that she's spoiled, just not rotten. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. <laughs> So last question for you is, uh, you know, this is the JP Money podcast and we okay. talk about one of the primary goals of the podcast is to, to get people to understand that, that there's way more important things in life than money. That being said, yeah. you know, having money, having a, a solid financial foundation can provide a lot of comfort mm-hmm. in life. And mm-hmm. so um, let's just imagine here that uh, you've got infinite amount of money, money's no issue, everything's all paid for, no debt. Mm-hmm. Describe your perfect day. Well, uh, we... Other than know, being interviewed on the JP Money right. podcast. Well, yeah, I would spend some time with Jordan Parks. <laughs> that would be my, my ideal day. Uh, uh, it's funny because just last week, the Mega Millions got to one point. One billion. Yeah, it was up there. Right. It was some. And yeah. I don't ever buy those tickets, but when it when it's that much, right? You, you gotta you gotta take a <laughs> you shot. Gotta throw it right? on. Yeah. You gotta take a shot. So, um, so yeah, I bought you know some of those easy picks, and you know, and you choose some numbers for those. No, I just let them spit okay. them out. Okay. You know, I, I never do it, so I don't know what I'm doing. Uh-huh. So I, I had to kind of ask the guy, you know, okay, I, I want you know like twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so. Uh, so, you know, when, when, when you do that, you let your, you know, you have the conversations just for fun. Yeah. You know, what, what if, what would I do? Yeah. yeah. What would we do? Perfect timing. Yeah. yeah. So, so you should have a good answer. <laughs> you know what, what I decided was that, you know, I wouldn't move. I wouldn't, you know, I would live where I live and I probably wouldn't change a whole lot about my life. It would be nice to have that kind of, um, you know, security long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the, my kids and their kids and, and, and on forward, but the perfect day for me, um, uh, you know, I would probably travel somewhere fun okay. with my, with, you know, with, with my wife and, you know, we'd find some place we've never gone and jump in the private jet and go, okay. go right. you know, go to, uh, you know, like we did, uh, going to Charleston this year. So you've been to some, some pretty place good places, new. Charleston, yeah. Cancun, you guys yeah. have had some fun experiences. We did, we have, but, uh, yeah, we kind of decided, you know, you know, when we were having those fun conversations that, you know, our life probably wouldn't change a whole lot. Uh, she probably wouldn't cut hair ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you right. Know, you know, be... and honestly, I don't know if I'd refer ever again, uh, you know, if, if I had, yeah. you'd probably do like one annual ceremonial game, say, the Tony Payne I'm game good. or something. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. I, I had a nice career. I can walk off and, and, and call it good. But at the same time, I don't know how long I would go without going, you know, I got to do something, you know, and go back into, to, yeah. to it you know that's it does kind of drive me still you know sure so that would be it would feel a little empty to just stop doing anything you know but yeah i spend time with the kid you know what i would do i mean i i you know this is a podcast and and i'm i i like 
podcasts. I listen to oh, good, yeah, a number of podcasts on a regular basis. But my favorite, for sure, besides the JP Money podcast, yeah. internationally acclaimed, right, yes. is uh, the Dan Levitard show with okay. Stugatz. And I, I told my, we were talking about, well, what if we win this, you know, one point one billion? Yeah. And I said, uh, I wonder how much it would cost to get the Levitard guys to come like to my birthday party. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You're little celebrities in and, your eyes, and, right? Yeah. And Kathy's like, oh, my God. And she goes, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to write Dan Levitard and tell him <laughs> that the only thing that my husband <laughs> would do if he was a billionaire would be to get, <laughs> get you to your whole crew to come to DeWitt, Michigan yeah. to hang out with him. I said, actually, well, maybe, maybe I would buy, you know, a suite in the Cleveland Air Hotel in Miami, Florida, where I could just hang out with them. Yeah, right. <laughs> just yeah. Go, to, go to their show every day and hang out with them. So, yeah. That's, you are the first person that's answered <laughs> with getting a podcast crew to come out to your place. Right? See, so, so what I do, instead of getting the Levitar crew to come to my house, I get Jordan can, Parks of the JP Money Money the Podcast one man, to come to my house. The one man crew. <laughs> uh, big letdown. Uh, thank you for saving this till the end of the podcast to tell me that because my confidence it. would have been crushed. Oh, yeah, no, an hour hey, ago. You shouldn't. You you shouldn't. You're, in my, yeah. you're in my top 10 podcast okay. for sure. Hey, that's a good percentage to be in. I know you listen to thousands of them, so I'm good to go. Uh, All right, Jeff. Yeah. Well, thank you for answering it. Thank you again for the interview and keep up the good work on the hardwood. You got it. You too. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It was, this was fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the JP Money Show today. Thank you for listening. And if you are interested in getting signed up to referee and you live in Michigan, you want to go to MHSAA.com and click on that register button to become an official. Remember, tough times don't last, but tough people do. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan here, the host of the JP Money Show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please share it with others if you found it useful or helpful. And remember, this is not intended to be financial advice. You should consult a professional financial advisor to help you run the numbers and look at your own personal financial situation. Thank you. Thank you.